strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi, and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. And I'm Jen. And on this week's Notorious Knowledge, I'm going to talk to you about the Great Stink. (laughs) The Great Stink? Yes, ma'am. Okay. It was a smelly situation. Was it Pepe Le Pew? It is, it is not Pepe Le Pew, but it was, in fact, the summer of 1858 in the city of London, and everything came grinding to a halt. Government could barely function. People resisted the urge to leave their homes, but demanded action from the government. Because it smelled so bad? Yes. <laughs> what had brought London to its knees, you might ask? Well, it was the overwhelming stench that was coming from the surface of the River Thames. For centuries, England had used the river basically as a dumping ground. And in that dumping ground was human, animal, and industrial waste. As the population of London grew, though, the tiny, tiny (laughs) sewer system was wildly overwhelmed. And by the 1600s, many people began to recognize that the pollution in the city was really bad and that its vital water source was becoming a problem. And after numerous cholera outbreaks, at this point in time, the the big theory on health was called the miasma theory, which was about air. So it was about like air quality, like Mm -hmm. good air, bad air. So people thought that the reason why everyone was getting sick with cholera was because of this bad air. There was actually one point when a man went to the river like side just to see what the clarity of the water looked like. And he said that he dropped pieces of paper in to see the clarity of the water, like as the water went over the paper. And the actual hunks of human and animal excrement clung onto clung the paper. onto it. And that there was and thank an actual you, sir. You just littered also. Thank you. Thick <laughs> film of actual feces near every bridge, like um, the posts that go down into oh, the river. Yeah, with the f- oh, yeah. The footers or footings. Well, with the flow of the, uh, yeah. the current. I was going to the flow, really. The current of the water of and it, it just attaching bad. it to the... Yeah. Oof, oof. No, 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 no. <laughs> so finally, by the summer of 1858, lawmakers realized that the situation had reached a critical mass. And that particular summer... All of London was feeling the effects of a particularly brutal heat wave. Oh, gross. And as a result... Oh, no. (laughs) All of the sewage in the Thames began to ferment in the scorching sun. Centuries of waste was literally cooking. No air conditioning, nothing. The result was a smell so offensive and disgusting that it has gone down in history. It spawned accounts such as the following. There were, quote, unquote... Stories flying of men struck down with the stench and all kinds of fatal diseases upspringing on the river's banks. Luckily enough for the denizens of London, even the elite became upset about the odor. And members of Parliament tried at first to stay the course and continue their sessions without agreeing on any drastic plans for reform. But eventually, they were forced to realize... That something had to be done. 
So regardless of their motives, they did actually decide that it was time to revamp the sewer system. And Sir Joseph Bazelget, Bazelget, kind of like baguette, but with a basil, Bazelget. Sounds delicious. Created construction of these new these new sewers. Oh, so the sewer system? That's pretty yeah. cool. So he basically designed their new sewer system, which had a series of, like, small tunnels that fed into bigger tunnels that fed into even bigger tunnels and led miles and miles and miles away from the city. Get it away! So he is actually <laughs> very much remembered by history as essentially saving the city of London from this awful stench that took over and made everyone in, within the government, the rich, the wealthy, the poor... Everything came to a grinding halt that summer he's as a, the stench was so bad. He's a stench superhero. He is. He is. He cleaned that river right up, or at least more than it was. Um, and that is the story of the Great Stink. I, I, you know, <laughs> for some reason in my head, I was like, oh, well, you know, like, how can you add stench plus a superhero? It's not really a superman. It's a garbage man. It's a garbage or Toxic Avenger. Toxic Avenger. Oh. <gasps> No, no. So if you're really into city planning, I'd say do more research on it because it's a very interesting topic, especially if you're into civil engineering. Um, But essentially, like, yo, it just got really shitty in London and they had to clean (laughs) it up. (laughs) And mic drop. (laughs) And on that note. If you are enjoying our podcast, then check out our Patreon. You can have access to new and exclusive episodes, and you can also listen to our weekly episodes three days early. We also have some cool swag available. So go ahead and check out patreon.com slash notorious narratives to learn more. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the... uh get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. So, in this episode, yes. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Jewel of Prague. Is it a giant diamond? Nah. Is it a human centipede? Nah. Why would that be a jewel of... Oh, bugs are on your mind. Got it. Cool. All right. Nah. It's been a long night, Robin. <laughs> bugs indeed. So, Prague has the world's oldest astronomical clock, and it still works today. So, it is one of the most compelling landmarks that is located in the capital city of the Czech Republic. One of the legends dates back to the 15th century, which was around the time that the clock actually appeared. An experienced clockmaster, Mukulas of Kanan, also known as Hanus, was selected by the city councillors of Prague to produce an original device that would not only measure time, but would also have some other functions. The clock, known as Prague 
Orloi can display the time, the date, position of the celestial bodies, astronomical cycles, and the Christian holidays. There have to be so many gears inside. There's so many gears. I can't wait to tell you. <laughs> it's like, there are so many systems. Like, and, ding, oh, ding, my ding, goodness. Ding, there's so ding, much ding. shit going on in this clock. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Robin's got a real Big Ben hard on over here. I love this clock. clock. <laughs> I love it. So every whole hour, 12 apostles would appear in the windows of the clock. And along with them, the figures in the outer side of the clock would also start to move. Now, these are not physical human apostles. These are carved wooden sculptures or not even wooden, like fewer wooden, fewer whatever material they wanted to use. But at the stroke of the hour, they appear in the windows. So the numbers have like little dudes behind them like, hey, it's yeah, Peter. They're like, yeah. Hey, it's Paul. Yes. Hey, so, it's John here. I'm number three. <laughs> and then, like one of them like sticks his head out be like, oh, is everyone here? Is everyone here? Like That's all the apostles so, I know, by the way. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm surprised I actually knew those. But um, there's so much interaction and so much, like, it's such a show. Do you remember um, when... I mean, I love a good cuckoo clock. I mean, it is... It's a like cuckoo. a cuckoo clock on crack. Yes. It reminds me of, you know, how... Uh, what was that? The movie Shrek, right? When it first came out and he was walking with Fiona. I'm, I'm My geek is showing. I'm going to... This town, the entire town, I, I believe... I, think i remember this town is filled with people that used to work for the kingdom so their whole job is to entertain so you walk in there and it's like freaking disney world and it's like a little like uh it's a small world after all and everyone in the town gets into this character and you're walking through it and everyone is performing things are popping out it's like you're walking into a giant grandfather clock and you're like what the or a cuckoo clock grandfather it's like you're walking into a giant cuckoo clock Everyone is parading around having fun. So it's like the intro to Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Bonjour. Bonjour. Exactly. And it's Bonjour. like people Bonjour. are just coming out of nowhere and, you know, they're entertaining and this is what this is. Okay. There Except so, it's a clock. It's a clock. Okay. But it's such a giant clock that these, thi- that these things are pretty big and there's but, just so many of them. But it's a clock. It's a clock. Okay. All right. Just so we're all on the same page, this is it's a It's a fucking clock. It's not Disney World. It's not Beauty and the Beast. It's a clock in Prague. You all right. Just cut all that out. No. Uh-uh. I won't do it. <laughs> okay. So the parade is started by the skeleton that would ring the bell that is on a piece of string. All 12 apostles will introduce themselves in the windows to the excited visitors. And then the Turk, who was supposed to symbolize lust and delight, shakes his head in the sign of a rejection. Then Lachemach Miser, who would do the opposite and would nod his head at the apostles in agreement. At the same time, he shakes his pouch of money and then threatens them with a stick. This is what all. The hell is happening? This is all the clock. These are the the characters and the figures of the clock doing it every time the hour strikes. Okay. So next to him, Marvinek, which symbolizes vanity. So we have the seven deadly sins, twelve apostles. It's yeah, it's a thing. So um, this guy, Marvinek. Um, for vanity, he observes the situation, but it shows that he's mostly just watching himself in a mirror. The then Kohut the rooster would crow and simultaneously start another hour of life. 
Some of the characters on the clock are immobile because they are made of wood. Actually, it is made from the timber that was donated by the people from all over the country for this clock. These characters are the philosopher with a quip, the astronomer with a telescope, the chronicle with a book, the archangel Michael with a fiery sword, and some of these characters are replicas of the original because they were severely damaged by the Germans at the end of the Second World War. That's a bummer. I know. In 1865, the Prague astronomical clock was severely damaged by a fire, and when a public announcement was made for its repair, the Czech people donated over 4,200 pieces of gold to help repair it. This clock means a lot, a lot to these people. I mean, it seems pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It also suffered heavy damages on May 7th and May 8th in 1945 during the Prague uprising when the Nazi fired on the southwest side of the Old Town Square from several armed vehicles in an unsuccessful attempt to destroy one of the centers. The hall and nearby buildings burned along with the wooden sculptures on the clock and the calendar dial face. After restoration, the clock began to work again in 1948. You know, like, I love old, thinking about old landmarks and, like, what they've seen. Like, that clock has seen, like, tanks rolling past it. Yeah. And, like, that's so fucking crazy. And it was built in the 15th century. That's just How crazy. Much is, yeah, it's crazy. It was a machine that was used as a tool for astrologers, mathematicians, and mages. Perhaps, mages? Mm-hmm. Yes. Perhaps this is why there are so many legends about it. One includes a secret brotherhood. The devil's eye, which is what some call the clock, was used to reveal the secret movements of the celestial bodies of God's revelations. The clock was a patron of prophets and alchemists. It was conceived as a timekeeper of evil. What? Mm-hmm. So the most popular moving figure on the clock is a skeleton. The nodding of the head of the skeleton gives your signals. When it's nodding the people of the Czech Republic can anticipate hard times. It is everything about this clock is about the skeleton. Whatever the skeleton does, people are in fear. People are like, oh, well, we have to look out. You know, the skeleton's head is nodding. We have to, something bad is coming. But doesn't, isn't, isn't it like clockwork? Like No, because I'll get into it, but there I mean, how are. How is the skeleton just like doing its own thing? So the clock is m- made up of dozens of different materials and dozens of different controls. But like what controls the skeleton? I mean, there's something that controls it. It's mm-hmm. not magic. No, it's not. I mean, it's there's a gear mm-hmm. that turns. And if you looked at it long enough, you'd be able to figure out the pattern. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All the gears. So the clock is made up of approximately 350 parts. 75% of them are the original from around 1410. The whole clock is run by silver machines. The main machine operates the sun, moon, zodiac, and the elliptical pointers. The 24 hour machine moves the outer check dial. The chiming machine is situated behind the dial. The moon machine shows the phases and positions of the moon. The Apostle machine opens the windows and controls the movement of the Apostles. A calendar machine has a wheel of 365 teeth, turns when midnight strikes, except in leap year. And then there is the Bozox chronometer, which increases the accuracy and reliability of the whole machine. So this is an incredibly complicated Mm -hmm. clock. Yep. So operating a clock requires technical prowess and great strength. 
the orloi was controlled manually. When the calendar dial was installed back in 1490, the boards had to be moved manually each night. Since 1566, the clock is fully mechanical. It also has separate dials for displaying minutes. And in the past, the astronomical clock only showed the hour. So apparently no one really cared about what time it was when it came to the minutes. Up They're like, it could be 205, it could be 255, mm-hmm. but it's not three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still a two, but you have time. Still a, it's still a two. I mean, I feel like I know a lot of people who run on that kind of clock. I don't know what I would do. I, late people make me crazy. Sorry. The astronomical dial is probably the oldest of all of the clock components and is one of the main reasons why the Prague clock is so unique. This element illustrates how the people of the medieval era observed the universe. Of course, it is the Earth represented in the center of it, if you look at the dial. The dial bits of the blue stand for the skies beyond the horizon, while the brownish counterparts stand for the skies below it. Inscribed in Latin letters further indicates which side is east and which side is west. North and south are in this case replaced by donations from above and below the horizon, both marked with the Latin words for dawn and twilight. A zodiac circle stands for the stars up above and it runs in harmony with them. And two clock hands display the symbols of our oldest stellar bodies, the sun and the moon. Three sets of dials can count for three different times. The first is the Italian time, or what would be the old Czech time. Central European time is measured by the sun, pointer, and this is the hour from 1 to 24. Which the clock chimes, it was once set to measure in German time, but before that it counted an hour according to Bohemian time. What? The sweet shit. (laughs) There are too many times. I know. The third is probably most interesting because it measures Babylonian time, where the hour lengths are determined by which season of the year it was. During the summer, the hours were longer. In the winter, it was shorter. This device is the only clock on the entire planet known to be capable of tracking Babylonian time. When I tell you whoever automated this son of a bitch was Mm -hmm. a genius of epic proportions. I mean, I can't even really gather what it's all doing, much less can I conceive of how it could be automated to just chill out and do it on, on its own. There's so many moving parts. It's ridiculous. And it's uh, I, mean, I always knew that there were a lot of different times, but I never knew that there was a device that carried so many of them. Uh, okay. So you knew that there were different times. Yeah. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Did you know that there was a time based on seasons? Because I've certainly never fucking heard of Babylonian time. Mm-mm. Years ago in school, I learned about Babylonian time, but I never like researched it. It was just something that was. I mean, I heard about, about the Babylonian times. <laughs> I didn't know that there was like a whole different way of telling time on a clock based on seasons. I mean, you know, though, I think that that probably feels right because there's nothing like when people are like, "Oh, it's like ten o'clock," and you're like, "But the sun just went down," and it's like, mm-hmm. or like, "Oh, it's five p.m., but the sun's already it's already dark outside." I mean, we kind of measure that now. We're like, oh, it's summer. We can't wait because it gets dark so later. Yeah. Oh, it's 8.30. Almost, oh, my, my goodness. It's almost 9 o'clock and the sun's now just setting. You know? And then when we get into well, winter, I mean, it's like, yeah. oh, it's 5 o'clock and it's already dark. That's what I mean. I wonder if it's um, Babylonian times actually maybe makes a little more sense mm-hmm. in terms of like, oh, like time to get time. stuff done. I've, in this way, I think that Central European time 
measured by the sun pointer is a lot of military because it runs from like 1 military, to 24. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it just time in general. Maybe Babylonian time is just really daylight savings. Maybe. Saving. Daylight saving. Not daylight savings. Saving. Was it Benjamin Franklin who first invented it for the farmers? Sure. I want to say that's correct. And Benjamin Franklin proposed it in 1784 as an economical project for diminishing the cost of light. So, I mean, he wasn't the only one. Others apparently had some stake in the daylight saving time debacle. I think Benjamin Franklin also wanted the turkey to be our national bird. So the bald eagle. Though I feel like the turkey really does say a lot about America because, you know, Thanksgiving. Especially these days. My goodness, are we a bunch of turkeys? Gobble, gobble. So even though the legend of the astronomical clock is something otherworldly or biblical, the tale also comes straight out of something like the Brothers Grimm tales. So Mikulas, the clockmaster, was contacted by other cities and countries to build another astronomical clock, but he refused to show the plans of his masterpiece to anyone. But word got out to the Prague counselors that he was contacted. Overcome with fear that he might build a bigger, more beautiful clock, the counselors had the brilliant clockmaster blinded, ensuring that their work would never be topped. What? Yes. They That's hire horrifying. someone to go there, attack him, and blind him. Why? Driven mad, the clockmaker took the ultimate revenge. He threw himself into his extraordinary work of art, gumming up the clock gears and ending his oh. own life in just one stroke of the clock. Gumming it up. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just bits. Bits I of people. I was doing research, and I... I read the gum and I'm like, I have to keep that in. Yes. I was like, that's perfect kind of description that I wanted. You know? It's, you just want them, everyone to understand that it, the, the people parts got mixed in with the clock parts and things got sticky. What I thought of when I was writing this is how slow is the clock? There's so many different pieces. You know, it's not a shredder. It's not like, in, you know, it's. It's, yeah, but there's so many different pieces to it, too. I know, but which means every part was a different a different length of time. Mm-hmm. You, you get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, what? Gross. Yeah. So by doing this, though, apparently he cursed a clock. There are legends out there that say that all who try to fix it would either go insane or die. So it was a big curse on the clock. And even the clock makers now that go in there and do the restorations, they're always very careful. They're always very respectful of his design because they feel the curse is still there. And that if they do something that he won't like, then they will either that that they would either go insane or die. Have any other people died or gone mad since not him? to this count, no. So there's no real curse. It's not like every person who touched the clock after him dies. Oh, after him, yeah. After him, there were people there, and yeah, no. That's what I'm saying. Oh, no, I thought you meant like now, like the like the clockmaker now. That no. That is there, like, and he's since, doing all the stuff. Since he gummed happened. up the works. How many? Apparently, there was some people, oh, I don't know how many, it doesn't say. Oh. It's just. What happened to them? They just. 
went insane or died. But I think the the dying part was that it was a country in the 1500s. I mean, what's the life expectancy? <laughs> exactly. It's like, but it could be anything. And just like a lot of how that how tales are said, you know, oh, this person just got hired to restore or try to fix a clock and he fell. Was it an accident or was it the clockmaker? It was the curse of the clockmaker. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're looking at this giant clock. You know, they're they're working the gears, trying to fix it, and it turns on, or they do something, and they lost a finger. Ooh, was it an accident, or was it a clockmaker? The curse of the clockmaker. There are so many little incidents here and there, but since it's 1500s, there's no actual documentation. So they just said that either you either die, or you go insane, or something happens. It is the curse of the clock. The clockmaster's curse. Mm-hmm. There we go. That's good, yeah. So the clock has been modified, destroyed, and repaired several times since its creation. It is perhaps the most well-known clock in the world. Its age and authenticity are some of the reasons why people gather each year in front of the old town tower where the clock sits and watches how it chimes the hour and experience the show that lasts for about 45 seconds. It's a very long time. And that's every year at New Year's? No, that's every hour. Oh, just every hour, forty-five every, seconds. Every hour, and then it stops, and then, and then just, and then the next, and then forty-five seconds. Forty-five seconds. So on October 9th, two thousand and ten, the Orloi celebrated six hundredth anniversary with a light show on the face of the clock tower. Two projectors were used to project several animated videos on the clock and videos of it being built, torn down, and rebuilt again. It also showed the internal mechanism, the famous figures, as well as many historical events that occurred in front of it. On October 9th, 2015, during its 605th anniversary, the Oroloi appeared on the Google homepage as a Google Doodle. The people of Prague were very excited. (laughs) It was also taken down for restoration and reconstruction and replaced by an LED screen in 2018. With the restoration work scheduled to last the whole summer tour season of 2018 and was eventually back in full service soon enough to commemorate the 100th anniversary of Czechoslovakia. It underwent all the reconstruction and resumed operations at 6 p.m. on September 28th of 2018. Welcome back. (laughs) Exactly. So that is the story of the Jewel of Prague, both a treasure and a curse. Just another notorious narrative. If you enjoy our episodes, you can also go to patreon.com slash notorious narratives, where you can access exclusive content. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to be notified when a new episode is available. Keep it weird and never stop exploring.